Hello, it's Jared from Transform Your Teaching. Just wanted to say thank you for listening to our podcast. We have had an absolute blast putting it together for you. We hope you're enjoying it as much as we are. We have a survey that we'd like you to fill out for us to help us to improve because we want to serve you and hearing from you will help us improve the podcast to serve you better. Just follow the link in our description and in the show notes. It won't take you long to do and we really do value your feedback. So please fill it out for us. Thanks in advance and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Transform Your Teaching Podcast. The Transform Your Teaching Podcast is a service of the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cedarville University in Cedarville, Ohio. We seek to inspire higher education faculty to adopt innovative teaching and learning practices. Thanks for joining our conversation. Welcome back to Transform Your Teaching. My name is Jared Piles. We are going to put a brief pause on our series on ChatGPT and OpenAI. We wanted to talk with Professor Eric Mishney. He's a good friend of the department and he has some great insights on using technology in his classroom and making his content more accessible to his students. So enjoy this interview with Professor Eric Mishney. Hello, Mr. Mishney. Hello, sir. Welcome. Thank you. Thank it's you for joining us. So, Mr. Mishney. Yes. Or should we call you Prof. Mishney or Professor Mishney or Eric Coach? Oh my, Professor my, Eric. my forensic students call me Coach. Coach. But I'm not here in the coach capacity, so Professor's fine. You can right. coach us if you want to. All right. We smile can, more uh, when you talk. Smile more when I talk. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Every, this, everybody should better? smile more when they talk. It's yeah. really, it's, it's, it's actually a radio term called smile mic. Smile mic. It makes your listeners feel more at ease. And so far, our listeners have felt it, horrible. I it guess. makes you sound like you enjoy what you're saying. Oh, my cheeks hurt so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, how did you end up at Cedarville and what do you teach? I did my undergrad here. Uh, I came partly because of forensics of the public speaking team. and. Then graduated, my degree was in theater uh, via communication and English and education. <laughs> Which means you went around the block a couple of times. It means I was here five years is what it means. <laughs> I changed my major to theater at the end of my junior year. Yeah, so when did you land? That's the question. You kept circling. When did you land? Graduated in 2008. Okay. Uh, and, and went on, did some other stuff. Uh, after grad school, I was on the hunt for whatever was going to be next. And uh, Professor Green, the department chair in communication, actually Facebook messaged me and told me that there was a position available. I had told him for years that if there was ever a position that opened up that might work for me to let me know. And he did. And here I am. Cool. What do you enjoy most about? Or like, what was the initial draw that brought you to higher ed? Or what made you stay in higher ed? I adjuncted at Cedarville teaching fundamentals of speech, I think in 2010. So just a couple of years after I graduated, I got invited back to adjunct. It wasn't more than a week of, of being in the classroom that I was hooked. Mm. Like it was, it was seriously so fast that I'm like, this is, this is what I want to do. And the weird thing is I started coming out of high school. I went into college wanting to be a public speaking teacher. 
and went a really long roundabout way of deciding I wasn't going to do that to end up doing it again. So God's going to do what God's going to do. Yeah. They should have just stuck with it. (laughs) (laughs) But, but seriously though, like knowledge in all of those areas contribute to what I do Yeah, again. And I would not be the teacher that I am without experience in all of those areas. Yeah. Sure. So absolutely. It was all, it was all, it was all purposeful. What would you say as you approach the classroom? What are your over, what's your overall philosophy? What is your uh, mindset as you approach? Like you, you talked about, you know, starting off adjuncting, you immediately caught that bug. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that really kind of brought you in and said, this is what I want to do. And like, what's, what's now your kind of your philosophy that you've been teaching for a while now? When I started teaching as an adjunct about 14, 13 years ago, the idea of a teaching philosophy did not, was nowhere near my brain. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think I ever thought about that. So, uh, and looking back, I don't really know what my teaching philosophy was then, except I was, I was fresh out of competitive public speaking. And I know I held my students in fundamentals of speech to the same standard that I would hold like a national champion persuasive speaker in college which is not fair. Mm. Uh, so I know a lot of my philosophy was let me teach them to be the best possible speakers that I can make them be. And so that's one thing that has changed a lot, in my, especially in my approach to teaching public speaking. Now I say I want my students at the end of a semester to hate public speaking a little less than they did when they started. <laughs> <laughs> The goal of every great educator, <laughs> and to be and and hopefully to be a little better at it, because with yeah. with with a reduced distaste for something, hopefully comes some increased skill and and enjoyment sure. of it. That, that's not necessarily my philosophy. That's just one of the things that I I joke about when I teach public speaking. Because nobody, I can't say nobody, a lot of students just don't want to be in that class. Mm-hmm. So I I try to make it fun. And the most validating comment that I get on my student evals is. Uh, I thought I was going to hate this class, but it turned out to be my favorite. Wow. And I, I've gotten that enough times that it's like I'm doing something right in that. I'm doing, I'm getting close to my objective at least. So what caused you to switch? I mean, when did you go from I'm going to make the best speaking champion on the face of the planet to I really need to pay attention to the realities of what these students are, are actually thinking before they come in? I think it was just a realization that that not everybody needs to be that perfect or that polished. Right? Everyone and not everybody can get there. Everybody coming into my class comes in with a different set of skills, presentational skills, knowledge of themselves and and not everybody can write a flawless outline and present it with the perfect words, with the most confidence. Like not everybody can do that. Some people uh, have to take the baby steps approach for things. So I, I say, all right, where are you with your skills right now? And what is the, what do, what is the next step you need to take in becoming a better speaker? And that's what I'm going to help you do. The feedback that I write on my students' evaluations or my students' you know, grades is almost always Here's the next step for you. That's how I frame most of my, this is how I try to frame most of my critical feedback to them. The next step for you as a speaker is to do these things. 
Mm. Now, that doesn't mean I'm giving everybody A's if they tried and improved a little teeny bits, right? If they're still objectively poor public speaker, they're, they're not necessarily getting A's. But I don't hold the best speakers in the, ra- in, the, in the room even to the standard that I might have for the best public speaker that exists, which is not my opinion with food. I compare everything I eat to the best of its kind that I've had. Really? It makes my wife unhappy sometimes. Does it? <laughs> like you and I share that. <laughs> it also makes my family unhappy. But my, I'd say my overall, overall teaching philosophy though, like now as I was, as I really dig into what drives my choices as a teacher uh, is all related to engagement with the content, whatever that content is. I, I think that engagement with the content increases the ability to know how to think about something and what to do with it. Uh, there's a difference between consuming information and learning and, and certainly uh, understanding. Uh, and, and transmission of information is also not teaching. And those are some things that I've wrestled with. Uh, you know, coming in as a, as a new faculty member or, or as an adjunct when I first started, all right, I've got 50 minutes to tell these students what I need them to do in a speech. Mm. And that's not what I do today at all. Like I might spend 15 or 20 minutes, if, if, if the lecturer in me is lucky, 15 or 20 minutes lecturing, and the rest of the time is some sort of practice or, or things. Because, like I said, I think the more engagement we have with something, with, with an idea, the more we can interact with it, the more that that experience feels like an experience to be had, the more we will remember. Because people remember experiences. You know, I, I bet you, if I asked you to tell me something you learned from college, you probably could tell me a couple specific content points that you remembered. But if I told you, tell me about some experiences you had in college, you'll be able to make a list that's a lot longer. And so I want to make my classrooms more like an experience that, where they can connect the content with those experiences. So I think it's my overall teaching philosophy is making, making the learning experience an experience, not just accepting of, of content, not just receiving information. You're hired. Thanks. <laughs> it was really good. Not that I'm evaluating at all. I was watching how much you smiled during that, though, to see if you were. I was smiling a lot. <laughs> he did. He kept the smile up, and I tried You're to. I tried to that? infect him with a frown. <laughs> it didn't work. To bring him down. It didn't work. Let me bring tell you what down. might might infect the frown a little bit more is the idea of the forgetting curve. You heard of the forgetting curve? Mm-mm. Do Her- tell. Uh, I'm going to sound really smart here. Herman Ebbinghaus in the 1980s did a study about. Um, content retention. And he found that, and this, this study was validated and, and redone just uh, about 10 years ago. So it's not just something from almost 40 years ago. Sure. Or 40 years ago. Wow. Uh, it's that we forget 56% of things an hour later, uh, 66% after one day and 75% after six days. And uh, another study said 15 to 35% of things uh, will be of the year's learning will be lost over a summer, specifically looking at that, that particular study looked at uh, first to eighth grade. Uh, but then another study that called it the fading effect 
uh, said after one day, 54% of things are remembered. After 14 days, 21% was remembered. After 63 days, 17% mm. of things are remembered. Uh, 63 days is about the length of one of our semesters. Mm. So at the end of a semester, or after another semester's time, they're only going to remember less than 20% of what I told them. which Or what they took a test on. Yeah, yeah. That, that last study was particularly about textbook materials, which I thought was really fascinating to me and just reaffirms my desire to not use textbooks. Or if I'm going to, that I'm not just having them read a textbook, that I'm also reinforcing that content in class through an experience because I want to get those numbers up. I don't want, I don't want, I want the students who are even in it just for the grade to still learn something. Yeah. I know there are students out there that are just in it for the grade, but I want, I want them to still remember stuff. So if you're not using textbook, like you just said, what are you doing to help students grab onto that content outside of your experiences in the classroom? I will, I will certainly assign reading. Uh, some, it's rarely from a textbook, though. It's, it's sometimes articles that I've found on the subject, uh, sometimes YouTube videos or TED Talks. I show a lot of TED Talks in my classes. Sometimes it's just we, I, I pose a couple questions to class, and we talk about it, and I intentionally draw out of those conversations the things that I want them to remember and to highlight. And I will repeat them back. And I tell students at the beginning of the semester, I say, uh, especially in, in the non-gen ed classes, the gen ed classes, we have a textbook and there's a little bit more lecture of a, of a format there. But in the non-gen ed classes, I tell them at the beginning, I say, uh, the things that I want them to learn are sometimes going to come from them and their peers in class. I said, I, I tell them that the things that you're your friends in the class say are sometimes the things that I would say, and sometimes I'll repeat them, and sometimes I won't. So if you hear good ideas from your colleagues, you know, your, your, your peers in class, take those with you too. Don't just learn from me. Learn from the discussions that you have and learn from the things that you share. Because I don't lecture, right? In, in most of the other comm classes that I teach, I don't lecture. Uh, I find other ways to engage with that that content because they're going to sit and take notes or not and just listen to me talk for a while and retention is going to be low. So what kind of experiences can I give them? Sometimes they're conversations. Sometimes they're watching a video and debriefing it. Sometimes it's, they watch a video or read an article or sometimes listen to a podcast before they come to class. And then we spend our entire class period talking about what they thought about that. And I have carefully chosen questions that guide them to think about the things I want them to think about from that talk or from that reading. But I generally let them generate those thoughts. And it happens where at the end of our 20-minute discussion, nobody has said the things that I think are really important to take from it. And that's when I have a slide in my back pocket that I pull out and say, here's the big takeaways from this. And I also... Honestly, I use that slide even if they did say it because I want them to know and be encouraged that they are thinking about the same things that I'm thinking about. Like, I want them to feel smart too. Uh, I think it's really important. One of the ways that people remember things, this is my armchair theory. I, there's probably studies out there on this. I don't know. That 
when you have the idea yourself, you'll, you're likely to remember it more than if somebody tells you the idea. I'm going to remember the really good idea that I had. I might not remember your really good idea. So if I can guide students to have the ideas that I want them to have and come to them on their own, my, my thought, my, at least my approach, is that that will be more memorable and more impactful for them. So I, I heard a lot, of, a lot of use of media prior to the classroom. There's a good bit of things that they will read or watch ahead of class before we get to class. Have you always done that, or is there, is there something specifically or some, at some point since you've started adjuncting and, and teaching that you said, ah, this is a, this is a thing to do? It, it started my first semester as a full-time faculty here when I decided I wasn't going to use a textbook and I needed something else to do. Right? I, I, needed to, I, I needed something besides just me talking to them for them to start getting, getting their wheels turning. So I started looking at uh, articles, journal articles, or, or even just blogs and web articles. Uh, and of course, t- TED Talks. I watched tons. I've probably seen hundreds of TED Talks. And it was when I start, when I, out of necessity of not having a textbook that I started really liking assigning videos ahead of class in place of a reading. And then we come to class and debrief that talk. Sometimes it's, you know, about the speaking. If it's a public speaking class, we might critique the speaker as a speaker. Sometimes I use vid, uh, speeches for the content. And, and for the things that are said. And I specifically say, I know this wasn't a great speech. We're not going to critique the speaker. We're just engaging with the things that they have said. Would you say that, so the majority of the content that they interact with outside of class is new content? And then they come into class and they discuss it. Yeah, theoretically it is, yeah. So it's technically a flipped classroom. That's what you would sure you know, flip learning ideas that students bring in new knowledge with them in the class. And instead of learning the new knowledge in class, they're using the class time to engage, interact, apply the new material they had. And you spend less time lecturing and more time discussing and reinforcing what they learned outside of class. There, there definitely is some of that. I would say probably less the, the things that I have them read outside of class some, or, or watch sometimes is directly related to or is direct delivery of content. Some of it is examples of things that I want to then use the conversation in class to essentially create, to collectively create the content. So, so for example, uh, in my module that I teach on storytelling, uh, there's one day where I have them watch three different t- uh, TED Talks. Uh, one of them is a short, like three minute speech where a guy's essentially acting out di- the different characters. He's doing the different voices. Uh, one is a, a talk from Malcolm Gladwell that's really academic and, and really a thinking kind of piece. And the other is by a, um, a woman telling her story of climbing Mount Everest and failing. And then a few years later, doing it again. Very dynamic, all over the stage, really exciting presence. Three very different speeches, very different stories. So they watch those ahead of time. And then we come to class and I use a different uh, kind of media in class where I will have them 
uh, I put together like 10 different questions that they all do a survey at the beginning of class. Which of these stories did you like the most? Which was the better storyteller? Who had the better story? Which one was most interesting? And so essentially like versions of the same question, but trying to get them to think about the different things. And then the last question is which type of storytelling approach best uh, matches yours? And so we, we use those videos to break down different styles of storytelling. So instead of having them read an article about different ways you can tell a story, they see ways, different ways you can tell a story, and then they get to identify what the strategies were and why they were successful or, or effective or not. Because inevitably, there's one of them that most people don't really care for, but a couple people love. And then a couple... And on every single question, it varies widely. I mean, generally, people like the speaker who told the story about Mount Everest more, uh, but apparently it's a more universal storytelling style. But yet still, some people say they would rather do or more like the other one in the end. So it's just uh, that's just one example of how it's not necessarily I use the media to deliver content, but I use the media to help us generate content. One of the reasons why... We definitely wanted to have you on the podcast. Was it seems that you have a very inventive nature and curious nature, especially when it comes to education. One of the things that really struck me was your openness to your students. Um, we talk about that in servant teaching, um, and obviously that needs to be balanced, right? Because you are the instructor and they are the students. So there's that again student-teacher relationship, and those boundaries are there for a reason, and it's not a bad thing. I think, though, um, your willingness to be open to students is what caught my attention. And in, in as much as you ask them for feedback, and you mm. do it quite regularly from what I understand, could you could you speak to that a little bit? Tell us what motivated you to go down that path and why other faculty might benefit potentially from doing that in their own classrooms. As I coach the forensics team, the, the speech and debate team, I get, I get really close with those students. I, mean, I don't have them in a classroom setting, but we travel together. We uh, spend long rides in the van together. I have a lot of one-on-one -on -one sessions with them. And, and through interacting with my, those students, I hear them complain about other faculty. Not not a lot, but enough, right? Other other professors, and I and I start wondering, what complaints do my students have about me, mm. and especially that I don't know about. And student evaluations are generally not the place where I receive critical feedback from students. If it's if I'm gonna get negative feedback on a student evaluation, it's gonna be very broad and vague and not helpful. So that's one thing I've started to do is encourage students to use the student evaluations to be specific about the issues they have with their professors. Like, tell me why you didn't like this thing, the this one specific thing the professor did, and how it created a roadblock for your ability to learn. Because if I hear a student say this pr this practice that you have, this this uh, strategy that you use in class is counterproductive and and doesn't make me want to learn, I'm not going to do it again because I have the goal to teach, 
to, to help students know how to think and what to do with the things that I give them. And if there's anything I'm doing getting in the way of that, I'm, I'm going to change it. So there's the student evaluations, you know, I encourage them to do that, but I often in the middle of the semester will do my own student evaluations. I'll just do a, a Google form and I'll just say, tell me something you think I'm, that works really well for you in this class. What's something that you think I can change right now and we can change the rest of the semester. And I don't often get feedback on that one mid-semester, but occasionally I do. And occasionally I make changes. There was one semester I did, and some students put some funny things in there, like, you need to bring us donuts. <laughs> and, you know, uh, just to show them that I'm paying attention, I brought in donuts. I want them to know that I, I pay attention to their needs. And I try to interact in class. Rarely do I, am, am, <laughs> rarely am I good enough at reading the moment to totally change tack mid-class. But occasionally it's happened and I'm like, I need to do something else. I need to do something that I wasn't planning to do because we need to mix things up. And sometimes those are my most innovative moments, the ones that are on the spot. I do have one more to ask you. Yeah. So we talk about innovative teaching practices and you mentioned innovation. Give us a brief overlook of how and why you developed the Instagram, your speech prof. What brought that up? You know, how's it doing? It's one of my favorite things <laughs> an instructor has ever done with social media. Tell everyone about it. I started it because I thought it would be a fun way for students to get content in very small chunks. It lets me break down really teeny pieces of public speaking, really, really small focused parts and things that I'm not necessarily going to cover in class. I'm not necessarily going to cover, you know, uh, what to wear in a speech or in, in class. That's not, but, but I can give you a good tip about that, you know, in 60 seconds on a, on an Instagram reel or, you know, I've, I've tackled bigger topics, you know, I've done like the whole, like a series of the whole organization, every single piece of it from, from the hook all the way through the last lines. but. It was fun for me to, to be active on, on social media in a meaningful way, and uh, I, I hope that it was a fun way for students to interact with the content in another, another format, in the same content, just reinforcing the same things, some of the same things I've said in class, just hearing them differently, because that's another way to increase retention, too, is layering in the same content, not just once, but multiple times over a longer period of time. And the reason I haven't done as much with it recently is because it's time consuming. Like I would, I was finding myself spending 20 minutes on a 60 second reel and I don't always have that, you know, especially if I want to do three videos a week, which is what has been recommended to keep an active account when it actually gets engagement. I mean, I, I loved it. I really was a big fan of it because it was allowed for you to deliver content, like you said, in little sizable chunks that people could then use. And it was universal. It wasn't just for speech students. It was for anyone. Oh, absolutely. Speaking. I had a, I had a guy in New York city reach out to me. Uh, he's a, like a, a trainer for in the restaurant industry. 
he reached out to me after watching my reel and said, hey, can you coach me on public speaking? And I said, well, I normally don't do that kind of thing, but yeah, I'll meet with you. So we met over Zoom a few times and he paid me for it. And That's cool. How was that? Wow. Yeah. But, sounds, sounds like a good way to get drum up some side hustles, huh? <laughs> and we, we don't have time to go into this, but you can uh, abandon that one, but don't abandon one cup away. Please <laughs> okay. continue to All find right. coffee and I will. I will continue to post pictures of the coffee that I drink. Thank you. I would very much appreciate that. Well, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Today, I appreciate that. And that's going to do it for us on this episode of Transform Your Teaching. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Transform Your Teaching podcast. Please subscribe or follow us on your preferred podcast platform. For more information, you can email us at ctlpodcast at cedarville.edu. Please consider subscribing to our blog, Focus, found at cedarville.edu forward slash focus blog.